Numerous U.S. presidents have served in the military, some as high as four-star generals. Which U.S. president's highest military rank was as a private? Oh, really? Oh, I was thinking, oh, I know this, and no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> Who spent 40 years as the only prisoner in a 600-cell jail? Is this a famous person? Uh-huh. Answers to those and other questions <laughs> coming up in this edition of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp. A chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. We love to read, go to the library, go online, get all kinds of interesting facts, and bring them to you. And that's what we're going to do again today with trivia on this episode. Okay, Marcia, I have a question about a president. Yes. Numerous presidents have served in the military yes. over the years. Some became like four-star generals, like... Um, Eisenhower Grant. And I, also uh, in retrospect. Washington. Exactly. He was five. I of know course. that because that was my question a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's my question. Yeah. Which U.S. president's highest military rank was as a private? All right, well. And I'll tell you, this was a very ironic fact. All right, all right, all right. Let's see. Kennedy was an ensign. He was higher. Through. All right, I'll just say. Nixon. <laughs> no, Nixon actually was in the service too, but he had a higher rank than private. He was in the Navy okay, as well. Okay, tell me who. Okay, this president actually ran a war. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, Bob. Abraham Lincoln. Really? Abraham Lincoln, the man who commanded Union forces in the Civil War. Private Abraham Lincoln uh. was 23 years old when he served in the U.S. Army in Illinois during the Black Hawk War. From May to July of 1833, Boy. he was paid 21 cents a day. And that rank private was his highest military rank prior to becoming commander-in-chief of all the yeah. services as yeah. the president. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. He served a very short time. That's though. right, yeah. All right, Bob. I was reading some trivia from back in 1979, and it said this person was reported to be in failing health. And had, at that point, three decades of being the only prisoner in this jail and was expected to die. Who was it? What are the clues again? He is a famous person. He was a prisoner. He's in this prison. What All was by it? himself. Yeah. Yeah. For... Oh, that was uh, Rudolf Hess. Oh, for God's sake. How that... did you know that? Because he was the German, and he was in was a Spandau prison. Where was this prison? Yes. Well, I th see there, I shouldn't have said 1979, because then you figured out World War II, didn't you? Rudolf Hess parachuted into Great Britain to uh, try to start peace talks, and they thought he was crazy. Uh -huh. And he got thrown in prison and never got out. <laughs> but you're right, he was like number two to Hitler for a while. Very bizarre. So he was kept in this West Berlin 600-cell jail all by himself in Spandau. I wanted to find out when he finally did check out. Uh -huh. And it was 1987, Wow, almost 40 years being the sole prisoner. Natural causes couldn't kill him, so the 93-year-old man hung himself. Oh, dear. And just so you know, after he hung himself, they immediately demolished the prison. <laughs> <laughs> no more need for this place. <laughs> yeah, he was taken to the German prison after, after the war. Uh-huh. The Allies tried to get him out of prison on humanitarian terms when he was in his 80s, but 
The Soviet Union would never allow it. They charged he had been in on the planning of the invasion of Russia. So they never forgave him. Yeah. Okay, I have uh, another presidential question here. Okay. Who was the heaviest U.S. president? Taft. That's right, William Howard Taft. And how much did he weigh? (laughs) (laughs) This guy was heavy. Yeah. Okay, I'll just say 350 pounds. 353 pounds, Marcia. Oh, ding, ding, wow. ding, ding. You win the prize. I do. I'm sorry. We don't have a prize on this show. <laughs> Supposedly, he became firmly wedged in the White House bathtub and required assistance to get <laughs> free. Right. <laughs> don't know if that's true. It probably was a story told at the time. But yeah, he tipped the scales at 353 pounds. William Howard Taft, a president you could truly look at and say, heavy man. Heavy. Heavy man. Heavy man. Heavy man. <laughs> Let's get serious. Okay, yes. How much do beaver teeth grow every month? (laughs) (laughs) Your specialty seems to be animal questions. It does, it does. Unique Uh, and odd animal questions. I did start with Rudolf Hess, though, so it's true. big departure. So beaver teeth. So this is probably the most important part of a beaver. Don't they munch up things to create their dams, I guess I would call them? So beaver teeth. How much do they grow every month? Uh Uh-huh. Let's say... uh, Let's say a quarter of an inch. Yeah, you think, well, how, how long do they live yeah, and I mean, how long can they be? They could be as long as your arm. Well, now, if you had thought it through, the deductive reason would have told you that actually they grow at the rate of one inch per month. Holy cow. However, the teeth are worn down at nearly the same rate as the beaver gnaws on wood. Oh, so no kidding. He gnaws them down about an inch a month and he grows them back an inch a month. That is amazing. <laughs> Wow. So nature knows what to do and nature gives it to them. They do. During America's Bicentennial, what unfortunate song did the band strike up when Queen Elizabeth danced with Gerald Ford? (laughs) Well, this is 1976. This is the Bicentennial, 200th anniversary of the United States. What unfortunate song did the band strike up just as Queen Elizabeth started dancing with Gerald Ford? Ah. I haven't a clue. The lady is a tramp. Ah, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is actually true. Now, 36 years later, a member of the Marine Corps White House Dance Band explained how that happened. His name is David Wright. He said, our songs were organized in groupings of three songs per arrangement, and the arrangements were only numbered. No titles on the music. They had arrangement number 348 on our stands. They performed the first of the three songs. And as we began the second, the crowd parted. President Gerald Ford escorted Queen Elizabeth in her diamond tiara onto the dance floor. And we discovered the second song of our arrangement was The Lady is a Tramp. I hope she enjoyed it. That's so funny. The Washington Post published his story the next morning. And, uh, of course, the leader of the Marine Band received a call from the Commandant of the Marine Corps at 6 a.m. saying, What is this about? <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? You guys played Lady in the Trap when Queen Elizabeth danced last night? No, 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 we didn't play that. We played Arrangement 348. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> well, I didn't think that I have a propensity for the animal, animal questions. questions, but I do have another one here. What is your next animal <laughs> question, Marsh? I could Because I've got another president question. <laughs> I could have put this in a different location. Know what a puffin is? A puffin. Yeah. Is that a, like a puffy muffin? For God's sakes. Is it? No. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I thought I was right again. No, it's a it's that weird little animal that looks like but has nothing to do with a penguin. It has that big funny face. Oh, is that why that cereal a, I like is called a puffin and it's got a I thought why do they have a penguin on this cereal? Yeah, it's not a penguin, it's a puffin. But anyway, you know how fast they fly? No. Of course you don't. You didn't even know what the hell it was. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, how fast do these things okay. fly? It flies 55 miles an hour. Holy and cow. Most, and it can actually fly. Yeah. Like a pelican can't fly. That's or right. penguins, penguins can't fly. Most puffins can be found in Iceland. And I thought they were, you know, maybe the size of a penguin, but no, nay, nay. They're, <laughs> they're only 10 inches tall and weigh about a pound. 10 inches tall? Yeah, they have these beautiful beaks and some, like little, some of them have horns. That's a miniature size of what I, I thought it would be. Me too. 10 I had no idea until I started looking into this. Wow. And they eat mostly fish, not big ones, but mm-hmm. little fish. And they can carry, they have little hooks in their mouth or something, and they can carry around 10 in their mouth at one time. 10 fish. Yeah. Wow. But uh, for some reason, the record was broken in Britain. The all-time record by one puffin was 62 fish in his mouth at one time. Oh, my goodness. What the heck? they got to be pretty small. What, the fish? Yeah. Well, I don't know. The pictures well, I saw. As you of would them. say, think of it, Bob. Think of it, Marcia. <laughs> think it through. This is an animal that's 10 inches tall. It has 62 fish in its mouth. They must be tiny. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I've got something related to events that have been occurring recently. We know that uh, the weather travels from the west to the east. So you told me, Across Abby, the United all States. All the time. With all the wildfires out on the west coast, yeah. how far east has some of the smoke? been seen. Well, it's gone all the way to the uh, East Coast. Mm-hmm. You mean so it's gone across the ocean too? Mm-hmm. So it's been in England? Not a little farther than England. Some of the smoke of the West Coast fires has been seen as far east as the Netherlands. Oh. That's Holland. Now we're talking, at this moment we're doing this show, it's only been a few days since the height of those fires yeah. out on the West Coast. The storms are massive. They've ravaged more than 6 million acres in Oregon and California, and already some of that smoke has been seen in Holland, in Europe. But also they've gone to the west, believe it or not, too. Smoke has headed west. A cyclone that absorbs some of the smoke moved it over the Pacific Ocean. Did it go to Hawaii? Don't know for sure, but you can see this from space, supposedly. Uh-huh. Oh, you can okay. see these plumes sense. of smoke, yeah. Okay, moving on. In today's world, when we christen a ship, we break a bottle of champagne over the ship's bow. Mm-hmm. It's a long-held tradition. So how did the Vikings used to do it, Bob? How did they launch their ships? Yeah. What they you... just pushed them out into the water. <laughs> Next question. No, they had, they had a little <laughs> Oh, so they had a ceremony. To, yeah. Just, so this is an old, it's old been tradition. been going on for thousands heck, of, of, years? heck of a long time. So let's see. What would they do? They had a bag of wine and they slept it against the boat? A bag of what? Oh, wine. <laughs> wine did become a tradition before champagne, but centuries ago, Scandinavian Vikings christened ships by sacrificing a human being on the bow of the ship. Oh. <laughs> the blood and soul of the dearly departed was believed to eternally guard the craft. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, the Vikings. Oh, those Vikings. The, well, my they, goodness. Yes, they shouldn't play football and they shouldn't christen ships. Okay. Oh, Lord. Okay, I've got a uh, an interesting question for you. Yes, now, sir. we all know that Christopher Columbus uh, was one of the first Europeans to come to the New World. Christopher okay. Columbus and his, you know, little fleet of three ships. Yeah. He was so intent on reaching the Orient. He thought for sure that's where he was headed. How do we know he was so intent on reaching the Orient? What did he bring with him? I read that once. Did he bring something to trade with them? 
that he thought they'd like? He probably did, but that's not what that's I'm looking not it? for. Uh, no, then this tell me. This is diplomatic stuff. Oh, okay, tell me. Okay, so Christopher Columbus was so certain he would reach the Orient in his first voyage that he took with him a passport. Want <laughs> <laughs> to make sure I'm legal here. They had passports? They did have a passport. And he had three letters of introduction. One was made out to the Grand Khan, the supposed leader of the Orient. Oh, two were blank, where the name of the ruler could, could be written be in. Written in. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty And then we'll bring two that we can fill out, depending <laughs> on who it is. Remember Khan from Star Trek? Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ricardo Montalban. He was actually the best villain in the TV series, Oh, I thought, yeah. By you know? far. Oh. And then he was in the movie. They had him come yeah, back for the, the movie. Yeah, The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan. That's gotta right. we got to watch that again. Driving a Cordoba around space. Cordoba. <laughs> and a Corinthian leather. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We're back again. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Trivia on this uh, new episode. And, uh, Marcia, I have a presidential question, another one, but I'll let you start. Oh, thanks, Bob. Because <laughs> you complained during the break. <laughs> Go ahead. This famous person ran a stagecoach that carried the U.S. mail, was an Army scout, and an aide to General Custer. Who was it? Was that William Cody? No. Oh, wasn't Buffalo Bill Cody? No. Kit Carson? No. An aide to General Custer. Obviously, he didn't make it to Little Bighorn, or did he? It wasn't a he. <gasps> Who was it? It was Calamity Jane. I didn't know that. She was an interesting person. Yeah. She was orphaned at 12. She took herself over to Deadwood and met up with Bill Hickok and was renowned for her sharpshooting, whiskey-swilling, and cross-dressing ways. <laughs> she was a woman ahead of her time. She was, but also she was known for her great kindness towards others. And Before she died of pneumonia in 1903, she appeared in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And she is buried today next to Bill Hickox. I, I remember as a kid seeing her the grave. You did? Well, I, in, in Deadwood, South in Dakota. Deadwood? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. She carried the U.S. mail. She was an Army scout and an aide to General Custer. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, quite a life for a kid who was on her own at 12. You know, and she's kind of been reduced in our minds to this kind of cartoon crazy woman out who of the, shoots the old a sharpshooter. West. Yeah, yeah, like a Annie Oakley, but she was an actual honest-to-God hero of the West and the things she did and the people she interacted with. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She was really far ahead yeah. of her time. I couldn't find, and I'm sure it's Googled out there somewhere, uh, how she got the calamity part of Jane. Probably because she was a little difficult to deal with. Well, we could find that out. We could find that out or somebody could tell us, I'm Because sure. of her long, uh, crazy life, you know. Probably Lots was. of calamities she dealt with starting as a young girl. Well, presidents have to deal with calamity, which leads me to my next question. Another president. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a sheet here with We're, presidential questions. You've got a books on this. And I'm going to end with this one. All righty. Okay. Tell me what transportation and communications distinctions these presidents have. They either have a transportation or a communication distinction, all right, Okay. in American history. Andrew Jackson, what was his distinction? I'll tell you, his was transportation. Ah. Uh, he was the first U.S. president to ride on a... Horse. A railroad train. Ah. First president to ride on a train was Andrew Jackson. James Garfield was the first president to use a... This is too tough. Telephone. Okay. He was the first president to use a telephone. Theodore Roosevelt was the first to ride in a... Rodeo. 
automobile. Okay. You're doing terrible at these. <laughs> okay, okay. Finally, geez. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, the first leader in world history to lead a war using... Who? Which president? Abraham Lincoln, first U.S. president and the first leader in world history to lead a war using... A certain kind of communication. Oh, the telegraph. Yes. I got one. Yes. So he's actually considered the first ruler in history to lead battles by remote control, basically, through electronic communications. Pretty cool. He wrote uh, more than a thousand telegraphs to his generals, and he visited that War Department telegraph office every day. He read every telegraph that came in, and he answered them, even if they weren't addressed to him. Real-time info. He could do this because the Union Army actually had portable telegraph equipment it took from battle to battle in wagons. They decided this early on, and they set up 15,000 miles of wires they strung across the U.S. They even tapped the Confederate lines and cracked their ciphers. Quite an operation, and it was a very dangerous operation. A number of these people died. Uh, And the reason we know about this is because two of these guys who led this operation later went on to lead Western Union, and one of them wrote a book about it. Nobody really knew about this stuff until the early 1900s, all the work that the Union did with electronic communications to win the war. Well, from Civil War to giraffes. Okay. Drafts? Giraffes. Oh, giraffes. (laughs) (laughs) Why do giraffes with longer necks live longer than other giraffes with shorter necks? Why do they live longer? Because they have longer necks? Because they get more food. Excellent. How do you know that? It would make sense if you have a longer neck. You're not just going to go after the low-hanging fruit. You're going to go after the other stuff. See, I was hoping you'd deduce that. And And I'm wrong, right? No, that's exactly right. Oh, no kidding. Giraffes with the longest necks get the most food as the leaves of lower tree branches are already eaten by other animals. Hmm. Ergo, a great percentage of them survive. It's a prime example of species evolution. Okay. Yeah, I knew if you thought about it for a second, you'd say, well, yeah, they have longer necks, they can do that. Okay. Well, well I've got a, another current events kind of fact here, and I think if you think about this, you're still not going to get it because I didn't get it. Okay. But here's an idea. We've had a lot of tropical storms. We're in the tropical storm season as yeah. we as we do this broadcast. Weaken hurricanes with bubbling underwater pipes. How would you do this? Weaken hurricanes. Um, I don't know, Bob. Science has recently determined that the deadly speed of a tropical storm is linked to how warm the ocean is when the storm is passing over. Uh That's the theory anyway, and it's why people think that climate change is warming the oceans is leading to more hurricanes. Something does seem to be going on because in September of 2020, satellites spotted five huge tropical storms in the Caribbean at the same time. They were all potential hurricanes. But there is a Norwegian business startup, and they're called Ocean Therm, uh-huh. Their theory is you could use a series of pipes to pump cold water from deep in the ocean to the surface during storm season, and this would slow down the storms just enough. It could slow down the storms by as much as 20 miles per hour that sounds if you have a four-degree temperature change in the water. Well, it sounds questionable, but this company is in Norway, and for decades in Norway, they've had submerged pipes pushing warmer water to the surface in the winter, keeping the oceans or that part of the sea from freezing. So this fellow who came up with this idea, he's uh, Olav Hollingstater. (laughs) He's a retired submarine officer in the Norwegian Navy, and he's got this company called Ocean Therm, and they're beginning a two-year pilot in the Caribbean. And 
That's the idea, that they would deploy large pipes with holes deep in the ocean where the water is cooler, and during storms, they start pumping it up to try to slow down the storms. That's Who knows? Why not try it, right? Yeah, can't hurt. Yeah. Well, maybe it could. Maybe they're flooding the up. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I have a president question for you. And you're... I'm sorry, we're done with president questions today. <laughs> and it's our beloved Lincoln. Okay. He was a busy bee. He... Bet you did know this, though. Okay. He was granted a patent. Yes, I knew that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Tell me about it. <laughs> For what invention? It was an invention that would lift ships out of the sea if they had sunk. I think it was. So, well, yeah, it? you're on the, yes, I'll give you a ding-ding for that. He got a patent, it, though. It was never manufactured, but was a device for lifting riverboats over shoals by inflating a set of cylinders on the boats with air. I don't know how they got the air in there, but apparently it was never made, but he was the only president in history to ever hold a patent. That's pretty cool, isn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. I think so. Can I give you a factoid? Sure. Prior to Christmas in 1978, a fire broke out near a television set in Winneka, Illinois. Mm-hmm. The TV set exploded, awakening the whole household, and everyone made it out of the home safely. The episode took place in the home of A.C. Nielsen, Jr., the chairman of the Nielsen Television Rating Service. No kidding. Oh, that's funny. Put his television out of commission, though, right? It was irony. Okay, I've got a couple of geography questions All right, Bob. All right. Give me one. What (laughs) What mountain range has 60 of the tallest mountains in the world? At least 60 of the tallest mountains in the world. Are in one range. Apple, no. In China, somewhere in China? Well, some of them are in China, some of them are in India, some of them are in Nepal, some well, are in. Are they all the same mountain range? Yes. And that is called. It's not the Hurlatus, it's the Himalayas. <laughs> <laughs> Himalayas. I take offense. <laughs> okay, you can take offense. It's the mountainous region between India and uh, Tibet in uh, Asia. It's the most spectacular mountain range in the world because more than 60 mountains are taller than 23,000 feet there. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you look at a list of the world's tallest mountains on Wikipedia, uh-huh. all 109 are in Asia, in either Nepal, India, Pakistan, or China. Now, the tallest is what? Everest. Everest, which is 29,000, 29 feet tall. I thought it was 28, but go ahead. Which country is it in? Shoot. Two countries claim it because the China-Nepal border crosses the summit. So they both say it's in our country. It's fine. Okay. All right. That's my question on geography. There will be more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. How big was the biggest gold nugget ever found? Can you tell me? Are we talking, how are we measuring this? What's the size? Um, I would say 10 pounds. That's a a big gold nugget. Uh, No, this one in 2018 uh, was 198 pounds. Oh, my goodness. It was worth $2.6 million. You should see a picture of this sucker. It's crazy. But uh, the second biggest one, which I think is more fun, because it was by two poor guys who were gold prospecting, also in Australia. They were tin miners, actually, and they went out to seek their fortune, and they found it in Victoria, Victoria, Australia. And they found a 156-pound nugget, and they called it Welcome Stranger. (laughs) Welcome, stranger. Yeah, and they found it, like, tangled up in tree roots or something, and they dug it out, and that is a magnificent piece. And that's kind of fun because it wasn't in a mine. It was just there. Yeah. 
under the Wouldn't you love to find room. something like that? Well, yes. And I, I think the rule is if you find a piece of gold that's 156 pounds, you get to name it whatever you want. <laughs> that's right. Welcome, stranger. It's up to you. Welcome, stranger. Well, speaking of strangers, this fellow was a stranger to the plains of North America. Famous name, Zebulon Pike, Pike's Peak and all these things. Uh-huh. Uh, so he discovered uh, one of our greatest mountains that inspired settlers. He also characterized much of the United West as uninhabitable. What was he talking about? The Rockies? Well, actually, no. It was the Central Plains, the plains where we have all the wheat, <laughs> the wheat and the corn, the breadbasket of America. He said it was incapable of civilization, the Central Plains, likely to become as celebrated as the sandy deserts of Africa. Now, that description gave rise to the myth of a great American desert, which actually slowed settlement for a time. And that's because Zebulon Pike, who was a great explorer, <laughs> that was the wrong attitude. He had the wrong idea. So, <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. Oh, you know, you're a target for most creatures of nature, aren't you, Bob? Yes, I'm always oh. the one that the, uh, anything, I love nature, but nature doesn't love me. Anything out there wants to bite me. you or eat you yeah, or something. very but up- unfortunate. What household product does Reader's Digest Suggest, Bob, that you smear on your ankles, wrists, and neck before you leave the house to deter gnats, mosquitoes, and ticks. So it's in our bathrooms. Vicks VapoRub. Oh, my God. Is it? Yes. Oh, well, I was thinking that probably that camphor yes. is probably what repels yes, the insects. Yes, that was a good deduction. But and then I, you'll always smell like you're sick, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, they like sweeter smelling people. I'll like be darned. Me. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so... It uh, repels them. Who knew? Okay. All right. All right. I got a few fun things here we can close with. Okay. Now, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can anticipate a great read if the title is clever. And these are actually current books with some very funny titles. I'll tell you the name of the title and what it's about, okay? Okay. Here's looking at Euclid. (laughs) (laughs) This is by Alex Bellows. It's a play on words on the expression, here's looking at you, kid. But Euclid, of course, was a famous mathematician. And here's looking at Euclid is the awe-inspiring journey through the world of numbers from counting ants to games of chance. Now, isn't that a, that makes you want to read that. Uh A book on math. You could have given it a boring title. But here's looking at Euclid. I thought that was a great title. I got another one here, Okay. okay? Tequila Mockingbird. (laughs) (laughs) cocktails with a literary twist not to kill a mockingbird but but tequila it's a new book by tim federelli and uh it's a play on the title to kill a mockingbird by harper lee tequila mockingbird cocktails with a literary twist focuses on how to make drinks and chapters include a rum of one's own (laughs) (laughs) the picture of dorian gray goose (laughs) and the last of the mojitos (laughs) Isn't that great? That's so those, very nice. are, those are two fine, fun pun books. I definitely, if I had a bar, a literary mm-hmm. bar with authors up there, and then you could just have a whole menu of these fun things. Yeah, That's yeah. very funny. I thought those were great, and I've got a whole bunch more. We'll, we'll get to those later Some on. Other, along with your last dying words and... And more presidential tombstone. questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'll finish up with a joke. Okay. It says, my husband purchased a world map and then gave me a dart and said, throw this and wherever it lands, I'm taking you there when the pandemic ends. Turns out we're spending two weeks behind the refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's one place I just don't want to (laughs) go. I've been to the back of the refrigerator. It's not what it's cracked up to be. It's not a pretty picture. No, it isn't. 
Okay, that's it for this week. You've been listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Join us again next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.